to see the world from a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation, intriguing stories, and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. Hi, everyone. You are tuned in to Talk with Francesca. And in the next hour, you're going to know a little bit more than you do now. So stay with me here. Little housekeeping. My web address is talkwithfrancesca.com. And if you miss part of the show, you can mosey on over to my iTunes page and listen there, as well as hundreds of other episodes of Talk with Francesca. This show is sponsored by Terramia Restaurante in the North End, when you will only accept the absolute best in Italian food, great service, and an intimate setting. Terramia is your go-to spot. I know because it also happens to be my favorite. Okay, we're going to dive right in. Tonight's show is about a doctor, how a doctor has separated identical twins to study them, but he never told the twins or their adoptive parents of the existence of their siblings. It sounds like something from a science fiction novel, doesn't it? This couldn't happen in the United States, but as Nancy Siegel, my guest tonight, investigated further, she discovered to her surprise and horror that such a study had in fact happened. The details, though, were not quite as straightforward as she'd been led to believe, but twins were indeed separated from each other and studied by scientists who kept the purposes of their work secret. Dr. Nancy Siegel is a professor of psychology at California State University Fullerton, director of the Twin Studies Center. She has authored six books on twins and twin development. Dr. Siegel's seventh book, Deliberately Divided, Inside the Controversial Study of Twins and Triplets Adopted Apart, has just been released, and that is the topic of discussion this evening. Uh, This work provides the first in-depth look at the lives of intentionally separated twins, their families, and the study of which they unknowingly enrolled, and the psychiatrist who orchestrated that research. Welcome, Nancy. It's an honor and privileged to have you back on Talk with Francesca. It's a pleasure to be here, Francesca. Thank you for having me. So, Nancy, I know you're a twin. Um, is that how you became interested in twins, or, or tell us more? Yes, I am a fraternal twin. I have a sister who looks and acts nothing like me, and I was so fascinated as a child with the differences between us in appearance, in personality, in interests, and in abilities. And I couldn't understand why here we are in the same family, same parents, mm-hmm. same experiences, and yet we ended up being so different. And so when I got into college and graduate school and began to grapple with nature-nurture questions, it all fit perfectly together. And I love twin studies because they're so professionally informative and so personally engaging for me. So what are the different types of twins? I, I almost am embarrassed to ask you this question because god forbid if anybody in my family is listening to this they'll say are you kidding me i mean there were twins that run rampant in my family and none of which were um came about because of in vitro because i do know that in vitro can definitely um you know make there there's a bigger chance of of twins um coming about (laughs) um with that but um i my younger sister has twins and they're like 28 years old, and I still can't tell them apart. So I, I guess yeah. they're right. Well, they got to be identical. <laughs> 
Well, in answer to your question, there are two basic types of twins. Yeah. The identical twins mm-hmm. will result when a single fertilized egg divides yeah. within the first 14 days after conception, and these twins share all their genes. Yeah. And then you have the fraternal or non-identical twins right. who result when a woman releases two eggs at the same time that are simultaneously fertilized by two sperm from her partner. And they share half the genes on average, just like ordinary brothers and sisters. But right. Francesca, within those particular types, we have interesting varieties. Within identical twins, you can have some that show what we call mirror imaging effects, where you've got a right-handed twin and a left-handed twin, or a twin whose hair whirl at the top of the head goes counterclockwise, and the co-twins goes in the opposite direction. And within <laughs> fraternals, you've got some fascinating variations there, too. Mm-hmm. You've got a case where if a woman releases two eggs, but she has sexual relations with two different men, close in time, oh my gosh. those twins actually end up being genetic <gasps> half-siblings because oh they share gosh. the mom genes but not the dads. And they're fascinating to study. And wow. we also have a new variety called the biracial twins. And they're kind of a misnomer because they're equally biracial. But what happens here is that they're born to a couple who come from different ethnicities, maybe an African-American father, a Caucasian mother, or what have you. Mm-hmm. The point is that the children take on the characteristics of one parent. So the children look completely unrelated, as though they represent different population groups. And because intermarriage is becoming so frequent, we're seeing a lot more of these pairs. Now, you're quite correct in saying that assisted reproductive technology in vitro fertilization, for example, Mm. does increase the rate of twinning. Mm -hmm. It dramatically increased the rate of fraternal twinning or non-identical twinning to the point now where twins in general occur in one out of 31 births in Caucasian populations. But what many people don't realize is that in vitro fertilization can also increase the rate of identical twins, not to the same degree, but because you're manipulating the egg outside the womb, this can sometimes increase the chance of splitting. Wow. Well, you know, now this is interesting because, and I, I'm certain, I am certain that my sister's twins are identical. However, I will tell you, um, they do have very different personalities. And the things that are similar about them, dare I say, have to do with nurture, not nature. Um, I, I act like I know what I'm talking about. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I mean, there's certain personality traits, quirks that I know come from their mother. <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, um, well, I'll, let, me, let me just say that I think up close and personal, you can see these differences. But I will say that a single case study does not a general law make. When we study groups of identical twins and compare their similarities in interest, even in in habitual types of quirks, we find that they are more alike than fraternal twins, which suggests a genetic influence Mm -hmm. on these characteristics. But that's not to say that genes explain everything. The environment certainly plays a role. Now, when identical twins are raised together, as your cousins were, sometimes twins will differentiate into different roles. So maybe outside the home, one is more of a spokesman and one is a little bit more submissive. So these are the differences we pick up on because, you know, it's so important, Francesca, for us to be able to differentiate between people. But sometimes you find, this is anecdotally, that when twins are apart from one another, they're actually more alike because they're not in that social differentiation situation. Well, now this is very interesting. This brings me back many years. I'll be showing my age sharing this story, but I will anyway. So my 
sister's now deceased husband's brother um, or brothers. Uh, they were twins. And they, I mean, they, they lived together, the same home, whatnot. But anyway, they moved, uh, like, across the country, different places. One lived, I think, in, like, Las Vegas, and I can't remember where the other one was, but nowhere near each other at all. But really strange things that I remember just, you know, this was just, I mean, again, this is hearing, remembering the story from years and years ago. But I remember that it turned out that it was the holidays, and they all got together. It turned out that they bought the exact same car the exact same color they weren't even really particularly close so they didn't even know right and there was just like a, there were a number of these examples that was like what there was really yeah. you know, just so I thought that was really and, and again you know it was so many years ago but it was I just remember that being very I remember the car story in particular the same car yes, well, the same color and they didn't know what about each other of course that's what they said you know but well see these are very fascinating events, and I have a recent paper out where I'm documenting some of these things. Now, I think we need to go beyond just random coincidence. The fact that we see these things in identical twins living apart, and even more strikingly, in the identical twins raised apart that I've studied, it suggests new hypotheses about what, why we all do what we do. Why do we buy a certain car? Why do we choose a certain color of the car? Well. We like the way it, it looks. We like the color. These things all have a genetic component at some level. So these similarities really teach us about why we choose the things that we do. And I'll bet you that even though they did not converse with one another, they gravitated towards similar kinds of things. I studied twins raised apart who did not know they were twins. And then I found that they both used to gather rubber bands around their wrists. And they both used to like spicy food. And they both used to think it was funny to sneeze loudly in elevators. And they both read books back to front. Now, reading books back to front, why would you do that? Well, maybe you're, you know, you've got no patience. You want to get to the end of the book, this sort of thing. These things really have genetic components at some level and really make us rethink why all of us do what we do. We tend to think that our own habits just come out of nowhere. Francesca, they don't. They come out of somewhere and the reflections of who we are. But, you know, Nancy, I'm just wondering about family similarities, too, you know, and what we're we're, well, of course, we're getting, again, into uh, nurture. So, um, but, you know, I mean, I know, like, some of my sisters and I, we, you know, we like certain, well, actually, take that back, because I have four sisters, and all four of them dress exactly alike, and, of course, the big, the, you know, the big uh, comedy in the family is that, you know, they say, oh, she wasn't, she doesn't have the same parents, and, of course, my mother will, would always remind me that no, I carried you for nine months. You're my kid, you know. But but, but you know, um, it is kind of funny that my sisters all, as I said, you know, they have a, um, they, they all think alike. They're same political affiliation. Um, they all dress the same. But that could be attributed also to the way my parents thought. But I'll let you marry. Well, here, here, okay. Here is the thing. See, Francesca. When, when family members who are related are raised together, you cannot separate or disentangle the genes from the environment. Parents pass on both genes and environment to their children. It would be like if you were sick and took drug A and B and got better. You wouldn't know which drug made you better. So that's why we have to do twin and adoption studies so that we can disentangle these effects. And we're going to talk about that, that when that, we come back because we don't want to, you know what, so yeah. I can't believe we've already gone through a whole segment here and we haven't even gotten... <laughs> 
to the uh, important stuff, which is this um, fascinating study. So listeners, stay with us here. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Lots more to come. This is Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca. We'll talk more in just a bit on 95.9 WATD. Plan a wonderful evening in Boston's North End, highlighted by one of the neighborhood's best-kept secrets, Antico Forno. Renowned as one of the world's most authentic Italian restaurants, Antico Forno provides you with an unforgettable dining experience featuring world-class traditional Italian dishes cooked in their beautiful brick oven. Outdoor dining is now available, too. Whether seated inside or enjoying an evening under the stars, when you eat at Antico Forno, you feel like part of the family. Antico Forno is open seven days a week. See their menu and make your reservation online at AnticoFornoBoston.com. Ladies, are you tired of looking tired, noticing fine lines and stubborn wrinkles that won't go away? The professional team at Jolie Medical Spa in Marshfield offers Botox, fillers, all therapy, skin lifting and tightening, hydrofacials, IV hydration, and more. The warm and caring manner at Jolie Medical Spa will make you feel like you're coming in for a cup of coffee, but instead, you'll leave with a relaxed look on your face. Located conveniently at 435 Furnace Street in Marshfield, call them today at 781-248-5769 or visit them at www.joliemedspa.com to schedule your free consultation and know you are in the best of hands. Just wait for your friends to ask where you went on vacation because you know they will. They say you are what you eat. In fact, the path to much of your health begins at your mouth. Dr. Nathaniel Chan from Advanced Dental Arts in Quincy and Norwell would like to take the time to show you how the well-being of your head, neck, and mouth affect your overall health. The family dentistry practiced at Advanced Dental Arts helps every member of your household have healthy teeth and prevent periodontal gum disease. Dr. Chan in particular focuses on cosmetics, sleep apnea, TMJ, and migraine pain. Even if you're not a patient, you can meet with Dr. Chan to discuss whitening, veneers, Invisalign clear braces, or implants. Reach out to Dr. Nathaniel Chan today to set up a free consultation at his office at either 353 Washington Street in Norwell or at 1250 Hancock Street in Quincy. Visit drnathanielchan.com. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terramia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy trattoria with stucco walls and beam ceiling specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisine here, the atmosphere is elegant, yet understated. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Ristorante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing. And best of all, it's reasonably priced. The best kept secret is worth the trip. Call 617-523-3112. That's 617-523-3112. Or visit terramiaristorante.com. Listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca. The talk continues on 95.9 WATD.
All right, so I, we are back, and I'm talking to Dr. Nancy Siegel. She's a professor of psychology at California State University, Fullerton, and director of the Twin Study Center. Nancy is a twin and has been studying twins since, well, I don't know. How long, Nancy, have you been studying twins? Oh, I'd say about 25 years. All right. Well, Nancy has written um, a, a book. Well, she's written several books. This is her seventh, I believe. And this one is called Deliberately Divided, Inside the Controversial Study of twins and triplets adopted apart. So, Nancy, you've been um, studying pairs of twins reared apart for a long, long time, and the New York City twin study, which began in the early 1960s, is not well known. So why don't we start this segment with telling us a little bit uh, about the study? Okay, sure. So that study began in the 1960s, and there was an adoption agency called Louise Wise Services, very well reputed and very well known for matching Jewish families with Jewish babies, families who could not conceive or what have you. And it was the place to go. And they had a psychiatric consultant from Columbia University named Dr. Viola Bernard, and she had the view that twins and triplets were better off growing up apart because that way they could develop their own identities and they would not overburden parents. And so these twins were placed together in foster care, and then they were given to different families at three, four, five, six months of age. The parents were never told that they were raising a twin child, and the twins, of course, grew up never knowing that they were a twin. The interesting thing is that for the identical twins, they were purposely placed in a family that had an older sibling three years older. And why? because they did not want the children to be only children, which is shocking because they weren't only children to begin with. Right. Now, what happened there, Francesca, is that there was a doctor, a psychoanalyst, a psychiatrist, Dr. Peter Neubauer, who directed the Child Development Center of the Jewish Board of Guardians. And he had always dreamed about doing a study of identical twins raised apart from infancy, doing it in real time, following these children as they developed. And so he and Bernard teamed together, and they studied four sets of identical rid-apart twins and one set of identical rid-apart triplets. Now, they also separated several sets of fraternal twins that they were not in the study, and it's unclear why they were separated, because fraternal twins have really um, easier time to develop an identity because they are different physically and behaviorally. The study... Uh, took place, and parents were never told, as I said. They were told only that their children were in a developmental study, and it was strongly implied that if they did not allow the child to stay in the study, they would not get the child. Uh, These were parents who were starving for children. And, I mean, as one mother said, I would have learned to fly if it Mm. meant having this child. Mm -hmm. And then, over the years, what happened was that the triplets these identical triplets who were the focus of that recent documentary film, Three Identical Strangers, mm-hmm. they met by chance at the age of 19. The boys. And they had, yeah, they had a lot of attention. They met because someone confused the two of them, and then when the paper published their photographs, the third one came forward, and <gasps> they were a triplet set. Oh, my gosh. So then, uh, several years later, Francesca, there was a journalist, Larry Wright, and he was able to piece together the idea that these triplets all came from the Louise Wise Agency, and he stumbled across the study. Mm-hmm. The study has not been well known. I'm amazed at how many of my colleagues never knew about it. 
It ended effectively in 1980. I learned about it in 1982 when I was a postdoctoral fellow in Minnesota. And that's because CBS 60 Minutes was poised to do an expose, but ultimately it never came to pass for reasons I go into in the book. Mm-hmm. But I was very curious because this was a study like I'd never heard of before, and it was intriguing but also very alarming. And I began to follow it from time to time. There were always little little bits of information that came out. And then with the production of the two documentary films, 2017, we saw the production of The Twinning Reaction mm-hmm. by Lori Shinseki, mm-hmm. and in 2018, Three Identical Strangers by Tim Wardle. Lori Shinseki said to me, I have lots of material. I think that you should do the book on this. And I was a little hesitant at first because I thought I can never satisfy anyone. This is going to be very controversial. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the more I thought about it, I realized this was an important episode in the history of psychology. And those twins out there deserve to have their story told. And moreover, the data records have been archived at Yale University, not to be opened until 2065. Well, that, that's, so like, that's like another lifetime, 2065. Um, exactly. Nobody will be around. And so the twins want to know what was gathered on them. And it's so the twins don't have, can't get mountains of evidence. So the, the twins, so the twins don't even have access to that information. The twins don't have full access. Now, what's been happening over the years is that lawyers working on their behalf have been working with the Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services. Mm -hmm. They're the ones, the Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services, who deposited the material at Yale. What motivated them to do that or what was the decision behind that? I have not been able to find the answer to that. People who should know either don't know or are not telling me. But at any rate, they are at Yale. The twins have gotten some of their material, but it's a very long and arduous and painstaking process. What about the triplets? The triplets have gotten some of their material, yes, but but not all of it. And a lot of it is heavily redacted. But but let me just ask you, let me just interject here for one second. Did I read this right, that one of the triplets died by suicide? That is correct. Eddie passed away due to his own hand when he was in his early 30s. And he is not the only one of the Neubauer twins and triplets to have suicided. There are at least two other cases, one woman in a fraternal twin pair mm-hmm. in alleged suicide, and one woman in another fraternal twin pair. So that's three out of, you know, not a lot of individuals. No, but, no, but I, I guess, and you know, just a tiny bit of pushback here. I mean, it's, you know... I, I'm wondering, is that because they were separate? Of course, we never know, right, if they, it was because they were separated um, from their biological siblings, their, their twins or uh, triplets. But, um, or, you know, could it just be that it was, there was depression in the genes? Yeah. So you raise a very good point, Francesca. Suicide is a very complex behavior, and the motivation behind that, of course, is always different, difficult to fathom. Right. In the case of the triplets, there was psychopathology in the family, Mm -hmm. and all the triplets said on film, at least the two who survived, that they had had psychiatric care by the time they were 16. Oh, wow. So it could be that in the case of this one triplet, it was the coming together of a number of influences, Mm -hmm. the basic psychopathology. He did not get along with his adoptive family. They were just very, very different. And then uh, the, the and that can be very hard. That can be a very difficult. Sorry. I said that can be a very difficult thing, just in terms of a, you know, um, in families. If you know one child, you know, 
feels like they didn't grow up grow up in the right family that they're just so totally different you know and um, that can be yeah. oh no that really seriously that can be very difficult on a child I know for myself oh. I you know come from a family of eight children and um, I'm much more like my brothers than my sisters but it really took me a long time in my own lifetime to really process that I am you know have my own identity I am who I am I'm happy with who I am but you know, if you don't fit in, um, that can be a very difficult, uh, sad, depressing feeling to live with. Absolutely. Right? absolutely. And that's in conjunction with an underlying pathology could be a recipe for disaster. But I think that's you right. have exactly. to think about triggers. You have to think about triggers that might do this because there's also an element of impulsivity in many suicides. Mm. So what happened, and I write about this in the book, is that the triplets had this wonderful restaurant called Triplets. Romanian style steakhouse in the lower part of Manhattan. So wait, they went, they, they did together. it together. These three, these. They did it. Oh yes, it was a wonderful place. I've been there. It was fabulous. Oh wow! But at any rate, one of the brothers decided not to stay, and he ultimately left and became an attorney. <laughs> and so that was a real blow to that one triplet. And then the father of one of the other triplets was nicknamed Bubula. He he was a wonderful, warm man, and he used to take all the three of them under his wing. And when he passed away, that was another hmm, difficult loss. moment for right. the triple. So it was a coming together of many, many things. That's right. And you I know something that could have been the issue. And, and you know what else, too? It could have been the, the issue of abandonment, right? Knowing that they were. Yes. Because did they know? Okay, so when by the time they came together, obviously they were separated when they were very young or close to birth. So now, you know, there's that whole sort of abandonment thing that goes on. Then he loses his brother in the business. Business, then he loses his what did you say his father so you know and, and these these things and it, it it is very very true that people who have a lot of losses um, you know one compounded after the next after the next after the next it can be a really challenging thing and it can bring someone who's already as you said has a pathology it can have them spiral down now and, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's always easy to say, hey, you got to pull yourself out of it. Well, not so much. Not so easy, necessarily. Yeah, but let, 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 me, let me also point out sure. that I have studied literally hundreds of sets of separated twins. And I've also studied some adoptees. And sometimes they feel not a perfect fit in the family, but there was no underlying pathology. And the suicide rate among these twins raised apart... Um, I don't think I even know of one of them, of the ones I've studied. So it's not just as simple as knowing that you were given up for birth. Mm -hmm. It's a confluence of many, many factors. And I think in Eddie's case, we've already talked about what they were. Right. Um, and I said it, it was not his father who passed away. It was the father of one of the tri triplet brothers mm -hmm. who took them all under his wing. But right. He felt like that was his father. And so when that man passed away, of course, it was a blow. Right. All right. How do you know whether the woman next door is gloomy because her life's been filled with tragedy? and sorrow or because she was born with a morose disposition. Could the study of twins provide a potential solution to this formidable puzzle? When we come back, more to come. This is Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca. We'll talk more in just a bit on 95.9 WATD. 
Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat. Tides specializes in casual dining with food that's delicious, not pretentious. On a warm day, enjoy a frosty pint at their bar or the sun-drenched deck on Nahant Beach. Or enjoy an incredible meal in their dining room anytime. Tides guarantees you great atmosphere with superior service. The menu at Tides is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out the drink menu at Tides for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with state-of-the-art tap wines. Tides is unbeatable anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. Visit TidesNahan.com. Who doesn't go to the hair salon to liven up their looks? Though sometimes you look worse on the way out than you did walking in. You can expect something different at Hair Design Fationa. With a super modern feel that can hardly be mistaken for suburban, a full-service hair salon, they offer cuts, color, highlighting, and formal design. Fationa is originally from Europe where she owned her own salon. With an impressive following, she won't disappoint. I know because I can tell you from my own experience, I felt transformed and you will too. So if you're looking to turn a few heads, call Fationa today at 781-964-3770. Conveniently located at 834 Washington Street in Braintree or visit her on Facebook. That number again is 781-964-3770. Call today, you'll be thrilled. I know you will. Plan a wonderful evening in Boston's North End, highlighted by one of the neighborhood's best-kept secrets, Antico Forno. Renowned as one of the world's most authentic Italian restaurants, Antico Forno provides you with an unforgettable dining experience featuring world-class traditional Italian dishes cooked in their beautiful brick oven. Outdoor dining is now available too. Whether seated inside or enjoying an evening under the stars, when you eat at Antico Forno, you feel like part of the family. Antico Forno is open seven days a week. See their menu and make your reservation online at AnticoFornoBoston.com. Francesca Luca, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca on 95.9 WATD. All right, we are back. So twins who have been reared apart present a fascinating natural experiment since they share genes but differ in environment. It's the old nature versus nurture. So my, uh, let me reintroduce my guest uh, tonight, Dr. Nancy Siegel. She's a professor of psychology at California State University, Bulletin, and director of the Twin Study Center. And um, Nancy has written uh, several books on twins and has studied them um, for over 20-something years. Um, her newest book, Deliberately Divided, Inside the Controversial Study of Twins and Triplets Adopted Apart, is um, the book that we're discussing this evening. So welcome back, Nancy. Thank you. Okay, so the actual purpose of the study, um, I, I assume it's it's the nature versus nurture, but is there more? The actual purpose of the study was to see how different parenting styles might affect children's development in genetically identical twins. So if you had, say, an anxious mother or a calm mother, did that influence the children's behavioral outcomes? And in fact, what they report, I mean, there were very few reports other than some anecdotal summaries of this study. But 
the investigators were shocked. These were psychoanalysts uh, really focused on the environment. Although Peter Neubauer was somewhat ahead of his time in genetic thinking, but nevertheless, they were surprised at how the children turned out to be fairly similar, even though the parenting styles were quite different. Really? Huh. Uh, you know, I, I have always thought, like, if a, um, if a child, like, if a mother is pregnant and she doesn't want to be, you know, it's like, oh, this is my fourth kid or my fifth kid, you know, or, um, and um, so she's anxious about having another baby, that it would make the baby anxious, even before birth. Is that accurate? It could be accurate in the sense that when mothers are anxious, they, they uh release certain kinds of hormones, mm. which could affect the infant in many, many different ways, can also lead to early contractions, things of that sort. Uh, getting back a moment to the purpose of the study, you know, um, one of the criticisms that those researchers raised against existing rear-to-part twin studies, because there had been three prior to that, and the fourth, the one in Minnesota, was ongoing at the time. So... Um, they criticized these studies because the twins met as adults, and they were saying that we had to retrospectively create these childhood experiences and could not talk to parents or to teachers. So their whole purpose was to do this in real time, mm-hmm. follow the children as they developed. Now, they had such few numbers, and the research was so poorly conducted. For example, the same researchers would see both twins, which you really need to separate to keep things objective. So. It was so poorly conducted with such small numbers that you really could not say. And we know the kinds of tests that were given because that information is something I got from some of the archives. The archives, as I said, at Yale are sealed. There are some... Why is that, Nancy? Why? Why? why, good, Good question, Francesca. The reasoning on the part of the researchers was that they wanted to protect the twins. My feeling is they wanted to protect themselves exactly. because they were afraid of lawsuits and they were afraid of the twins discovering themselves if any of the material were to be published. Now, in the archives of Columbia, which is Dr. Viola Bernard's archival collection, there was material you can get. There was stuff that was archived until January 2021, although I've heard that there's some difficulty there in getting some of that material. But at any rate, I did see some of this material, and I actually found a book chapter that was never published and there were little excerpts about some of the twins and I figured out who was who and sent it to the twins with their permission and they said yeah I, I recognize myself this was me and so I think that it's likely the twins would have been recognized I think the parents might have recognized things and ultimately the researchers I think were protecting themselves and nobody else. Unbelievable. The study um, has been controversial over the years, obviously. Um, but but tell us more about that. Like you know what what that was about. Well, see, the controversy surrounds the fact that there was so much secrecy involved. That the parents were not told the real reason that the children were being followed, and did not know that they were raising twins. And of course, the twins didn't know either. I will say that Peter Neubauer and Dr. Viola Bernard were not monsters. They were very prominent, very well-reputed researchers, well, not researchers, practitioners in their fields, and people looked up to them. They did a lot of good work, a lot of good work. A lot of good work, but not not in an ethical way. They did did do some good work, but I will say that this is one thing they did that really was not good, and it wasn't as if it was a spur-of-the-moment decision. This is something that was well thought out, 
and in practice for many, many years. And they destroyed a celebrated relationship between two people who, you know, this is, being a twin is a very important aspect. And, you know, when these twins get together, and it's kind of love at first sight, but they have some rocky moments because they did not have a shared social history. Mm-hmm. So really, when you ask about the purpose of the study, yes, to see how different parenting styles affected outcomes. I will say, Francesca, that I always tell parents, you don't bring up your child, your child brings you up, which right. means that parents respond to the child's behaviors and interests and tendencies. Parents do not create them. And any parent who has more than one child, as in your case, Mm-hmm. They will know that children come into the world with different predispositions and parents react to them. And so even though parents in these cases had different parenting styles, there were certain things that they kind of, you know, uh, responded to in kind. There's one case where these identical twin girls both had certain food preferences. They insisted on eating food with cinnamon on it. One mother thought that was great. The other mother wasn't so happy about it, but the mothers went along with it because there was nothing else they could do. The kids had to eat. So my point is that parents do not create children. They respond to children, reinforce, magnify, amplify, downplay, but they do not create. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Nancy, back then, um, when the study was done, there was there were no formal institutional review boards at universities or other research institutes. And uh, some people would argue that we shouldn't judge what the researchers did by today's standards. And what's what's your position on that? Yeah, my position on that is that, of course, there were no institutional review boards, but you have to separate out what's legal from what's moral. And certainly, by doing this study, they were well within their legal limits. But when you ask yourself the question, really? did they act? Did, yeah, legally they were fine. Hmm. Uh, wow. For the most part. For the most part. But if you ask yourself, did they, were they ethical? Were they moral? And I think the answer to that is no. You don't just hamper people's lives. You don't play with people's lives by separating them and putting them in different families. You know, some of the parents, when they went to ask for children, asked specifically for twins. One family did twice, and both times were told there were no twins when there were twins. So it was just really baffling as to why this happened. And Dr. Bernard had this theory about what she called the twinning reaction, Mm -hmm. and that was that if babies placed together in the foster situation showed interaction, you know, touching each other, playing each other, responding to each other's sounds, they were adopted apart. I mean, they were adopted together. Hmm. But we saw a scenario of identical twins who at six months were very interactive and still placed apart. And we don't know really what the effects of that might be, because these are pre-verbal children. They might not have known they were being separated from a twin, but they were separated from this little warm body that responded to them in kind. Mm -hmm. And it could be that that is being missed. We just don't know. But Mm -hmm. I think we have to allow ourselves that that is a possibility. Right. Um, Nancy, the University of Minnesota study produced um, some pretty groundbreaking findings regarding the roots of human behavior. Um, I, I'm going to wait till after the break to have you answer this, but you can think about it and be, um, while we're going through hearing from our sponsors. But in your opinion, did you think that the Neubauer-Bernard uh, collaboration discovered anything that will have a lasting impact? So uh, think about that one. And when we come back, listeners, Nancy will let us know. I 
appreciate you hanging out with me. More talk on the way here on 95.9 WATD. They say you are what you eat. In fact, the path to much of your health begins at your mouth. Dr. Nathaniel Chan from Advanced Dental Arts in Quincy and Norwell would like to take the time to show you how the well-being of your head, neck, and mouth affect your overall health. The family dentistry practiced at Advanced Dental Arts helps every member of your household have healthy teeth and prevent periodontal gum disease. Dr. Chan in particular focuses on cosmetics, sleep apnea, TMJ, and migraine pain. Even if you're not a patient, you can meet with Dr. Chan to discuss whitening, veneers, Invisalign clear braces, or implants. Reach out to Dr. Nathaniel Chan today to set up a free consultation at his office at either 353 Washington Street in Norwell or at 1250 Hancock Street in Quincy. Visit drnathanielchan.com. Who doesn't go to the hair salon to liven up their looks? Though sometimes you look worse on the way out than you did walking in. You can expect something different at Hair Design Fationa. With a super modern feel that can hardly be mistaken for suburban, a full-service hair salon, they offer cuts, color, highlighting, and formal design. Fationa is originally from Europe where she owned her own salon. With an impressive following, she won't disappoint. I know because I can tell you from my own experience, I felt transformed and you will too. So if you're looking to turn a few heads, call Fationa today at 781-964-3770. Conveniently located at 834 Washington Street in Braintree or visit her on Facebook. That number again is 781-964-3770. Call today, you'll be thrilled. I know you will. Tides is beachside dining at its best, all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat. Tides specializes in casual dining with food that's delicious, not pretentious. On a warm day, enjoy a frosty pint at their bar or the sun-drenched deck on Nahant Beach. Or enjoy an incredible meal in their dining room anytime. Tides guarantees you great atmosphere with superior service. The menu at Tides is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out the drink menu at Tides for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with state-of-the-art tap wines. Tides is unbeatable anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. Visit TidesNahan.com. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terramia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy trattoria with stucco walls and beam ceiling specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisine here, the atmosphere is elegant, yet understated. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Ristorante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing. And best of all, it's reasonably priced. The best kept secret is worth the trip. Call 617-523-3112. That's 617-523-3112. Or visit terramiaristorante.com. This is James Woods, and you are listening to Talk with Francesca on 95.9 WATD. 
All right, we are back. And tonight's show is about how two doctors had separated identical twins to study them. But uh, they, the doctors never told the twins or their adoptive parents of the existence of their siblings. My guest, I reintroduced my guest, who is uh, Nancy Siegel. She has written a book, Deliberately Divided, Inside the Controversial Study of Twins and Triplets Adopted Apart. So welcome back, Nancy. Thank you. Nice to be here again. So, Nancy, so this uh, University of Minnesota study produced uh, some pretty groundbreaking findings regarding the roots of human behavior. So, in your opinion, did the Neubauer-Bernard collaboration discover anything that will have a lasting impact? No. First of all, they never really published. A couple of case studies, but they never really published their findings. All of their group data have been sequestered at the Yale University archives and nothing has been published. Even if they have, their number is so small that it's hard to imagine that anything could have come out of that study that we could not get today in a better and more effective way with our larger samples and more effective research methods. And how many how many uh, children or well adults now have been affected uh, negatively by this? Well, we know that 11 children were extensively studied. Mm-hmm. We know that there was another pair of identical twins who were in the study initially and were dropped because they were adopted at different times and had different birth weights. Dropping that pair, of course, was very, very bad science. We know that there were at least four other pairs who were separated mm-hmm. and not studied. Three were fraternal and one is of an unknown twin type. And there may have been others, Francesca. There was one of Dr. Bernard's colleagues I spoke to who mentioned a pair of male-female twins had been separated. Didn't know much about them, but he recalled the incident. And you have to also think that there are twins that Viola Bernard said were kept together if they develop a twinning reaction. Well, do they exist? Why is it that over all this time, especially since the movies came out several years ago, that not one pair of twins reared together have surfaced. Now, it could be that other adopted twins raised apart um, were fraternal, and so they're not likely to meet through mistaken identity. It could be that they are separated and will never, ever know that they are a twin. So we know that at least 13 people know, uh, possibly 15, but there may be others that we just simply do not know about. Hmm. Um, were there some people reluctant to speak to you when you were writing your book? Yes, there were. There were certainly friends and colleagues of Dr. Peter Neubauer's, fewer of Viola Bernard's because she was older and passed away sooner, um, or passed away a longer time ago. Some of them were. Um, some of them were willing to talk, and some of them spoke reluctantly and off the record. I am not surprised by that because it was a controversial study. But what really surprised me the most, Francesca, was how little many of the colleagues even knew about this study. You know, it's kind of odd because when researchers are excited about their work, the tendency is to want to go to conferences and share things with colleagues and talk about it at dinners and over cocktails, and yet this did not happen. And so my sense is that maybe the investigators felt at some level so what they were doing was not quite right, right but right. wanted to do it anyway. Right. Do you, do you know why they wanted to do it? Well, they wanted to do it because they felt that they were uniquely positioned to address the nature-nurture question, because they would be studying twins adopted apart from infancy in real time. For either of them twins? Said, 
Yeah, where, as I said before, the other reared apart twins studied adults mm-hmm. and had to, re, you know, uh, retrospectively create the, the childhoods and memories and things of that sort. So they felt that they had a unique population. Now, it was ideal. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that, but I think it was morally incorrect. Right. Completely incorrect to do that. Were either one of the investigators twins themselves? No, they were not. No. They were not. Uh, huh. Peter Neubauer had two sons, mm-hmm. and Viola Bernard uh, had no children at all. Hmm. Oh, that's very interesting. So uh, there are two documentary films, obviously, that came out about the study that you've mentioned a couple times, The Twinning Reaction and Three Identical Strangers. So tell us what is not in the two documentaries that's in your book. Sure. What is uniquely in my book are the life histories of many of the twins who came forward for the very first time. Uh, their life histories, their reactions to meeting their twin, interviews with some of their relatives, that's all new. I talk much more about the um, the origins of the twins and the backgrounds of the investigators than came out in the films. Uh-huh. I have a whole chapter on the 60 Minutes exposés, which are not in the film. I have two chapters on their publishing attempts. Did they try to publish the material? And what about the failed book? Those are not in in the movie. And I also have a very detailed chapter about letters of protest um, that were written to the Emmys and to the Oscars, which most likely did not affect the awards, but nevertheless are of great interest. And I also have a chapter on the legal and moral angles of this with interviews with attorneys, top ethicists in this country. And the last chapter I reserve for myself to talk about what I think of the investigators and the study. I wanted did not want to color readers' uh, perspectives prior to their seeing the information. I just presented it as it happened, and I saved my my perspectives to the end. So uh, you have an ongoing study of young Chinese twins who were separated indirectly because of China's one-child policy. Um, is that yes. true? Yeah. Yes. And, and now, yeah. that is a study that... Uh, I think, as you said, indirectly separated twins because of the one-child policy. Right. And with the family's consent, completely informed, I have been tracking these twins in real time. Mm-hmm. Not as babies, but some of them as young as three. And now I've just completed second rounds of assessments on them. And these twins, of course, have contact, but that's okay. I can see the degree to which contact may influence similarities or differences. I have some views from teachers. I certainly have parental Mm -hmm. um, information. And I'm starting to get things now from the twins themselves who are now older. But the point is that I will do everything I can to bring twins together. I have also published several case studies of twins raised apart. And I sometimes get them when they've not met yet. And yet I try to bring them together. I try to encourage television stations to Mm -hmm. arrange reunions, or I try to get, I actually did a reunion here at Cal State Fullerton of the world's longest separated pair. They're in the Guinness Book, in fact. Mm -hmm. They met for the first time at age 78. I got a grant to bring one here from Oregon and to bring the other one in from England. And it was a wonderful point reunion. I kept them here. I studied them for a couple of days, but the point is I brought them together. I did not keep them apart. Exactly. Which I could have done, right. but I did not. And Nancy, I hate to put you in a box, but we just have about a minute left. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to share with our listening audience? 
I think that the only thing is that twin research is a wonderful, vibrant, simple, and yet elegant way of looking at human behavior. And I think that we have to take a look at the downsides, this twin study being one of them, as a way of sending messages to future investigators. They have to be very respectful of your twin participants to always do things in an informed and uh, cooperative manner. Well, that to me, to me, that would just seem like a, a, a sort of a no-brainer, right? Like to to be respectful. Yeah. And right. it, it seems like it seems like a no-brainer, but you know, right. sometimes. Scientific ambition gets in the way, and I believe that it did in this case. It it did, yeah, exactly. All right, well, Nancy Siegel, thanks so much for joining us tonight on Talk with Francesca. It's been so interesting. really do appreciate your time. It's been my pleasure, Francesca. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we've got to wrap things up and say goodnight. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. See you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great week. Mm -hmm.